We had to call a lot of audibles today. Um, people were sick and things were happening and all that kind of stuff. And so um, I'm a Yankee. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio originally. But my entire family, for the most part, came from Wisconsin, don't you know? And so when Elissa and Ian Hellerman moved into the city, um, I've, I've waited for this moment. It was, what was that uh, American Idol, not to show my age, but it's like some people wait for a lifetime for a moment like this. Yeah. And so this morning we joked and we <laughs> joked and we joked about how northern he was going to put the accent on as he read the scripture today. But um, I can honestly say I think you are the most northern person to ever speak in this church ever with a microphone. So... Um, well, thank you. It's an There's honor. no gold stars or anything for that. But if you all stand with us as we, uh, we read God's word today, please. This is Luke chapter 6, verse 35 and 36. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you guys can be seated. If you've been with us the last uh, couple of months, you know that we're attempting to go more traditional, so you will stand up and sit down at least 17 more times before we're done. So, you know, one of the things the church got right, right? So, um, if you didn't see when you came in today, there's a wish list that we have. It's an Amazon list uh, for the Infant Crisis Center. Uh, certain times throughout the year, they have needs uh, for underprivileged infants. And, and so if you think about it, if you have a heart to, to give, to help, you can take one of these flyers. There's a bunch of flyers out there. And uh, there's a wish list on Amazon that you can purchase things uh, to help out their organizations and impact the lives of infants in traumatic situations. And so... It uh, doesn't matter what denomination you are. It doesn't matter what your theological approach is. God loves children. God loves and wants to bless children that are in need, the widows, the orphans. And so, welcome to the Pain and Change Part 3. I tried really hard this week to come up with some like really catchy title. And then the Lord was like, well, this is just a continuation of the two-part series that you did uh, a couple of weeks ago that, that we brought when we came back from sabbatical. Um, but I want to title this, War is Not Your Future. And the reason why I want to title that is because as we continue to talk about Ephesians 2 and we continue to talk about Acts chapter 2 and we build upon the four main elements of a healthy messianic church, our little corner of Christianity that we have, as we look at what it means to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, and what was your predestined gift and how do you operate in that, not only as an individual with your relationship with the Lord, but also in a communal environment. And so those are things that I think are very important for the next couple of years. But war is not our future. Why? Because Genesis 1 through 3, we see that God's design for humans was to dwell in a space where heaven and earth met. That was God's design. Now, obviously we know the story. Humanity gets involved. We question which is the right authority, and our flesh causes us to shatter the space of heaven and earth colliding. 
We obviously don't dwell in that type of a place right now. Norman is not a place that you can say everywhere you look, the overlap of God's kingdom and the earthly structure interacts. No, most of the time, they're at war spiritually with each other. Now more than ever, in our culture in America, we see the kingdom of God in the Bible at war with the systems and structures of this earth. But it wasn't God's intention for us to be void of that space and that relationship with him. That wasn't God's intention. That was our actions that caused it. It was our actions, our doing that caused us to be void of the space where heaven and earth collided. We live in a place where we tend to fear our enemies and we're suspicious of almost every person we meet. Some of you, actually a lot of you in in this church, you all came from California. And the overarching conversation about California is we had to get out. It wasn't thriving for our families. It wasn't safe for our families politically. It was was anti to our belief system, our spirituality, what our family believed in. And you would find that not only in states like California, but you'll find it in a growing number of cities and states all across the United States of America. Yet our families divide, our churches split, cities turn against one another, and everything breaks, including our hearts. This is not Eden. This is not what God's intention was for us. This is the ramifications of our humanity. This is the evil of the human heart working in cooperation with the adversary. We live in a world full of pain and a fear of change. Yet throughout Scripture, we see ongoing pictures of these very things. It's a biblical pattern. It's a biblical concept of exile. Now, almost everybody in this room, I would say, the reason why you're at a Saturday church, the reason why you're, you're here is because you understand that the front of the Bible is just as important as the back of the Bible. You understand that in this corner of Christianity that the manifestation of the Holy Spirit works in the order of God who operated in the tabernacle and the temple. The God of Genesis is no different than the God of Revelation. The God of Genesis is the same as the God of Revelation. And he moves the same and he operates the same. But yet imagine having to live and serve authorities who kill your family, destroy your cities, and murder your faith. Some of you have been semi-persecuted. I w- I would, I would, I'm not going to take anything away from you. But imagine living in a time and in a place where the authorities that you serve, sole goal was to kill your family, destroy your cities, murder your faith. Any of you ever found yourself in environments similar to that, where the people you served, the, whether it was your workplace or maybe it was in your own home, maybe it was in um, a community you were a part of, where the authoritative structure wanted your death on some level, may not even just physical death, maybe they wanted your fiscal death. People who wanted to destroy you physically, mentally, fiscally, spiritually. The logical response for a guy like me who's a type A is you want to fight back. You want to take control. If there is a system of oppression, then I will conquer the system of oppression and take control of the system of oppression. That's the logical type A manly thing to do. 
Like, you ain't going to dominate me. I'm going to dominate you. But yet, we see throughout the Bible situations where there's a dominating antichrist type of culture who take the Hebrew Israelite people, your forefathers, and they oppress them in a system that's not of God's. Now, sure, we know about the Maccabean revolt. Yeah, we know about that. But how many times do we like to talk about Jeremiah, the prophet who was sent to Israel? Ironically, the prophet by which Messiah came and fulfilled that prophecy as God in the flesh. And make no mistake about it, I'm a Jesus freak. I love Jesus. At the end of the day, I, I love the Torah, I love the feasts, I love the festivals, but if I'm going to err on something, I'm going to err on all the other things. I'm not going to err on the fact that Jesus is Jesus. He is the King of kings, Lord of lords. I have no ticket to the promised land. I do not get to be brought back to the new Jerusalem. If I'm not washed by the blood, covered by the blood, nothing else matters. And so... As we look through the scriptures, as we look through the Old Testament, as we look through the prophets, we always must understand that we must look through with the balance of the fact that we do have the testimony that Yeshua HaMashiach, Moshiach, has come. He has come. But yet Jeremiah lays out a playbook that would not be considered very sexy today. We see Russia, we see Ukraine, we see the, the ongoing conflict that's there. And how many of us have heard the Pentagon on CNN, on Fox News? I'm going to cover both sides of the political spectrum, because depending upon the day, I'm on both sides of the political spectrum. But how many of us hear Pentagon officials, the people in the White House, how many of us hear them reading the words of Jeremiah? as the battle plan for the war. I haven't heard it yet. How awesome would it be? But I haven't heard it. Yet we know in 580 BCE that our forefathers got attacked by Babylon. If you've been in a Saturday church for any period of time, Babylon is like, it just like it's like the go-to. Babylon, Nimrod, some of these names, it's the go-to of like, hey, they get dumped on on everything that's out there. But what we do know about Babylon is that they were spiritually corrupt. What we do know about Babylon is that they were a powerful cultural bully. They, they didn't see somebody that they wouldn't conquer. They wanted everybody to know that they were it. Donald Trump would have called them the best ever. They killed and displaced thousands of people. They forced the Israelites to serve through captivity and coercion. And then Jeremiah. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to start in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, so that's basically us of the day. We are the Hebrews. Let's role play here a little bit. It makes it a little bit better when we actually think of ourselves being in that position rather than this is some historical account of somebody else. Guys, if you believe that Jesus is your Messiah, 
then you're Abraham's seed and your heirs according to the promise, which means the promise that was given to the people that they're talking to here is the same promise that exists to you. Now, whether or not you choose to walk in that promise or not, that's your relationship with God. But it doesn't make the promises of God null and void just because you refuse to do what you're supposed to do. God gave you promises. Promises that you would be co-heirs with him in his kingdom. You were not some secondary. You were not some just, I'm glad you showed up. No. God knows your name. He knows the hairs on your head. He gave you a specific gift. He gave you the power to manifest his spirit through you in a specific way that is unique to yourself. And then like a loving father, he stepped back and said, you should do this, but in no way am I going to force you. Now, the Babylonians weren't a loving father. They, they forced them into captivity. It wasn't like they sent an invite on TikTok for them to come have a, uh, have a kegger, and it was like, sorry, you're not leaving. No, they basically came and said, hey, you're coming with us. We're going to put you over here, and you have no rights anymore. You are a second-class citizen. You are the lowest of the lows. You are enslaved to us. You do what we ask you to do. What did Jeremiah tell him to do? Take control of the system? Fight them? Slash them? Maybe key their car. Do we still do that today? That was like me in high school in Ohio. I never did it. Looking at the statutes of limitations. I've always done things above board. And Father, I repent for lying. What does he tell them to do? To war? To manipulate? To, to use lies? Slander? Gossip? To intimidate? To bully? No. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives. Don't do that now. It's not Utah. Take a wife. And have sons and daughters. Take wives, again, that's what he's saying, that culturally it just doesn't fit now for us in Oklahoma. For your sons, and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. Huh. Wait a second. We're supposed to thrive in Babylon? What? In our little corner of Christianity, people are like, oh, you have to, I'm exiling Babylon from my life. I'm exiling Babylon from your life. If you're truly in Babylon right now in your life, then the words of the prophet Jeremiah speak to you. You should be building houses. You should live in them. You should plant a garden. What is a garden during that time? It is sustenance physically for us to grow. It's also a currency. You can take your carrots and you can trade them for milk. You can take your carrots and you can trade them for peyote or whatever it was back then. They all did all of it. You can... Use it as currency to barter. Wait a second, so you're supposed to prosper in Babylon? You're supposed to interact in Babylon? Yes. Why? Why? Because you are to seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. What? In Babylon, 
by Babylon thriving, somehow God is going to use something that is good, that is anti-God, anti-Christ culture, and bring it in. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus say the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to dreams that they dream. For it is a lie, and they are prophesying to you in my name. And I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans, everybody knows. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found in you, by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather from you all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Hey, if you've been around the Christian church in any period of time before, I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans to welfare or prosper. A lot of times the prosperity gospel side of things they use then, it's like, see, God wants you to have a Bentley. See, God wants you to have a bazillion dollars. Then the other side of people is like, well, that has nothing to do with fiscal or anything. But it, in context, there is something else that comes before that. There is something you must do. You must be the Jesus to that city. You must be the light of Yeshua HaMashiach to the city you live in. Don't follow after the ways of the prophets of Baal. Don't follow after the ways of the prophet of a political party or of a system. You are to show them what God would do. Hmm. It seems a little bit anti-war, right? If you're planting and building houses and you're building gardens and you're, you're providing sustenance and blessing for the community that's around you, it seems a little bit different than picking up your AK-47 or your go bag or your bug out bag and you're going on, on, on a war, warfare. We're going to survive any tribulation or antichrist system of the world. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. If you follow God. But it's not going to look like call of duty. You're not like, sometimes we're, we want to be at war. It just makes us feel better about ourselves. But God did not call this church to war with the city of Norman. God did not call this church to be at war with the city of Oklahoma City. We will war against sin. We will war against the adversary. We will war against you know, people who don't want to act righteously. Yeah, spiritually, we are not going to be a, a lukewarm body of believers. But he didn't call us to war against the systems of, of this world. He called us to thrive in them so that they would see that we're different. Not that they would see our light, but they would see the power of God flowing through us. Too often, we allow our, our systems of, of religion and our churches to function on the personality or the calling of an individual. That's not a kingdom. That's not a city. That's more like Babylon. 
It's about one entity. Settle, plant gardens, build houses, get married, have kids. After all, they were sent into captivity. How many of you are actually in captivity? The people who left California, are you in less captivity? Vernon, you're in captivity right now? Okay, thank you for being honest. There is, is there not more opportunity for you here in Oklahoma than there was in California? In, your, in your faith to walk out the way you want? Yes. People like to say like, okay, well, I can't wait to make Aliyah. I can't wait to make Aliyah. I can't wait to make Aliyah. Have you ever seen what's going on in Israel right now? And don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about the land. The land is beautiful. The land is the land of the king. It's the promised land. We will all, it's a part of our inheritance. But the systems of this world that operate there are not what God had intended there. And until you live in Israel or until you live in Texas or until you live in someplace else, you're called to make a difference here. Not only are you called to make a difference you're actually given the spirit and the power to do so for just yourself. There's nobody else like you in this world. Nobody else with the same calling. God did not come and operate as a conquering king. This is part of why the Jews in the first century, the Hebrews in the first century, didn't widely accept Jesus. Because Fast forward to Jesus' time in the first century, and you see that there is, Babylon's gone. God kept his promise. By the way, show me a time in the Bible where God has not kept his promise. I can't see it. Why? Because he's perfect. Show me a time where man screws up. I can show you a lot of those. But God kept his promise when it came to Babylon. God kept his promise when it came to the Hebrews. And yet in the first century... When God in the flesh comes and dwells amongst men, we see there's a new Babylon, Rome. The Jews are in prison. In fact, there is some, there's some questionable things even going on in the leadership of Judaism at that time. There's some questionable backdoor deals, political deals. Okay, apparently I'm supposed to be done for the week. <laughs> see you all next week. I saw everybody look up at the screen. I was like, hmm. Okay. Uh, there was questionable things going on in the system of, of even the religious leadership inside the captivity of Rome. And the first century believers, and what they were looking for is they were looking for a conquering king, somebody who would come and tackle Rome, somebody who would come and restore the temple and the system without the oppression and the taxes and all the other political system, the antichrist system of the day. Very similar to what we had in the Babylonian time. We see it with Daniel. Daniel was captive. He was constantly bombarded with, be a part of our soothsayers, be a part of our prophets, be a part of this. And he refused to become the system. He was in the system, but he refused to become a part of their system. He was set apart. Daniel, I think, really experienced the pain of change. I haven't been in a lion's den. I mean, I once wanted to go to Tiger King, but that doesn't even exist anymore. So, and after watching the docuseries, no thank you. But 
we don't even understand some of the oppression that was going on in these times because most of us have been blessed most of our life to have freedom. Most of us have been blessed to be able to go to whatever church, whatever gathering, whatever institute, whether it's home or at a coffee shop or in a church or whatever, we've been allowed to go wherever and practice the gifts and the faith that we have. We get to go to Black Rifle and have a cup of coffee and pray with other brothers and sisters. We get to go and have pizza. We get to go and be in places where we're allowed to say Yahweh. We're we're allowed to carry a Bible. And most of us have never experienced what some of the people in China experience for their faith. The people in Pakistan or in, in Iraq or Iran. We are blessed. If you are in the United States of America, as much nonsense that goes on in this country, we are blessed. And we should recognize it. So for most of us in the room, including myself, it's very hard for us to sit and look and say, I know what it's like to be in a lion's den, facing physical death because I wouldn't bow. Most of us don't know that. Yet we see in the life of Yeshua, even though, again, we talked about the Maccabean revolt, and there is no doubt between 167 and 160 B.C., we have texts that say the Maccabean stood up to the government and they took back righteously. So I'm not telling you that there's not a time for the sword. I'm not telling you that we're supposed to be passive. I'm not some hip progressive person up here saying God was all love and never at any point in time did he call his people to violence or did he call his people to take up arms because the scripture does not back that up there is seasons of which the calling comes but unfortunately a lot of time in our little corner of Christianity we want to constantly be at war we want to constantly be afraid A lot of times if you go and you visit different Sabbath gathering places, it's just pockets of people, and people are even afraid of people who keep the Sabbath based upon a theological thing or one point or a different point. We're at war all the time, even when we don't know that we've declared war. It's kind of like the United States of America saying we're not at war, and yet we're shipping all kinds of stuff to Ukraine. We're at war. We're just not maybe throwing our own bombs down on people, but we're engaged That's like saying, well, I didn't spread the gossip. I didn't tell so-and-so. No, you told so-and-so who then told so-and-so. We like to live in the gray area and say that it wasn't me. We're not in Babylon. We are in an exile. There's no doubt about that. But in exile, in oppressive situations, Jeremiah told us to build houses, plant trees, Modern day version. Play soccer with your kid. Have a drink with your wife. Have coffee with your friends. Stop being scared of everything. Be the light that everybody needs to see. Everybody else is scared. Everybody else doesn't know what to do. Everybody else is going every which way. They're like a ship without an anchor. Yeshua HaMashiach is our anchor. The Holy Spirit should be our guide. We should not be a ship that is tossing to and fro in the sea. When we look at Yeshua, we have one real time. Like, there's a couple other areas in there when you look at the Greek text and you look at some of the words. We have one time where we see Yeshua taking physical, violent type of actions. 
Everybody in this room, I'm guessing, knows it. He walks into the temple courts. He flips over the table, and everybody's like, yes, that's the conquering king. But you notice it doesn't say that Yeshua came in and backslapped one of the tax collectors. It doesn't say that Yeshua dropped one of the WWD arms off the table on one of the temple guys. He did not. He did not. And even when the greatest warrior who ever came to this earth, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, could have saved himself, not only in Mark chapter 1 in the wilderness with the devil, but also on the way to the cross. He was the suffering servant who loved his enemies as himself. Jesus, Yeshua, showed an unwavering ability to live an anti-cultural life. The cultures of those times, and still today, is war. We're going to commandeer you. We're going to take you over. Even in the corporate capitalism of America, company comes in, takes over another company, buys them out. We're the top dog. Here's our system. It still exists today in all of the areas of our life. Yet Yeshua lived in this system, but wasn't the system of this world. Yeshua was the second witness to the prophet Jeremiah. He didn't cower and conform to the world, but he was gentle, humble, compassionate, and unwavering to be an example in the world. Today, as we continue to grow and we continue to try to figure out how we're walking in a manner worthy of our calling with those gifts, we're really only faced with two choices. The choice to use the cultural playbook to try to control, to try to take over ownership of systems and people and situations so that we can feel empowered or we can actually walk in the empowerment that God told us existed, which is as those systems only have control when you allow them to have control. Some of you have met with bullies. Some of you have met with oppressive people. Some of you have worked for companies that are oppressive. Sometimes the Romes, sometimes the Babylons in your life, sometimes all they want is your reaction. Sometimes it's not even about the long game. Sometimes it's about that initial reaction. What happened when Yeshua came? Excuse me, when the guards came for Yeshua in Gethsemane? What was the initial reaction? I mean, he was weeping before the Lord in the garden. Of course, us as apprentices, we were falling asleep. But he was weeping And then the guards come, and I relate with Peter, grabs, pop. And he's like, no, 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 no. Nope, we're not doing that. Does this mean that you conform to this world, that you cower to this world? Absolutely not. As a church, we will not be conformed or cower to the ways of this world, to the ways of the political systems but we also won't be afraid of it. We aren't, we aren't going to run away and hide. 
We're not going to go into a bunker. We're not going to go off grid. We're not going to do that. No, we're going to plant gardens. We're going to bless this community and watch this community see Jesus Christ through us. Through us. Whether that's at 7-Eleven when you're getting a Slurpee, when it's at McDonald's and your patience is tested because all you wanted was some soft serve ice cream and not a single one of the machines in the country works. Every place you go, Every place you go, you are the light of Yeshua to them. So that when we're restored to the kingdom of God and the new Jerusalem, we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not well done, good and faithful servant of yourself. It's the master, the king of the universe. By the way, who comes back as the conquering king the next time. Who says, well done, good and faithful servant? Interestingly enough, turn with me to Romans 13, if you will. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Interesting. We might be in an oppressive situation because God is trying to work it for our good. Sometimes we play the Jonah card. I played the Jonah card the last couple of weeks sometimes. I'm sitting out there throwing a pity party for myself out there. And then finally, God slaps me over the back of the head and he goes, You fool. You think you can grow when you have all good times? This is about you. It's about me and you. You have to grow in me. You can only do that sometimes in oppressive situations. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God and an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of consciousness. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all who is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And then Paul, all of a sudden, all of a sudden we think Paul just is like, he's like, nope, 90 degree turn, he's going the other way. He's like down deep into the authoritative structure. Hey, by the way, if Rome says you owe 100 bucks, give him 100 bucks. Walk away. If this person says this, do this. Be subject. Be subject. Be subject. And then all of a sudden in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to the love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. If you do not love your neighbor, love your enemy, I don't care how long you have kept Sabbath. I do not care how long you have ate kosher. I don't care how many days you have fasted. If you do not love your neighbor, then you cannot fulfill the law. You can execute the law, and I'm not talking about on a stake executing, but you can actually go through the process of the law. 
But to fulfill the essence of the law, you must actually love. Once again, we have to find the balance. Because in our corner of Christianity, sometimes they say, all it is is love. All they want to do is love. They don't want to obey. You can't obey if you don't love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot obey if you do not love and pray for your enemies. That's what the scripture says. And on this we fulfill the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. How many of you have had at some point, don't raise your hand please. I was actually going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm like, yeah, this could get awkward quick. How many of you have ever had the thought to physically murder somebody? Not talking about spiritual murder. We're talking physical murder. I promise you there are some people in this room who've never had that thought. I'm not one of them. But I promise you there are people. Why? Because some people don't have rage issues. Some people don't have that. But I also know that there's probably people in this room who've never had the the physical thought to commit adultery. And there's been others in this room who probably have. People struggle with different sins and at different points in times. And if somebody says that they're perfect, then they're a fool. There was only one who was perfect. Yet, we can execute the law in our life physically but to fulfill it through the spiritual intention of the lawgiver, Yeshua HaMashiach, you cannot do that without love. You can't do it. Love does, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast out of the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So, Paul is putting the nail in the coffin on Jeremiah's prophecy, Yeshua's life, and he's saying, you always have authorities in your life. There will always be authorities in your life. How do you show them that you're not like the authorities of this world? You bless them as being a person who has the ability to bless them with the authorities that this world never had. This creation never had the right to be the creator. But you are a creation of God. God does dwell inside of you when you allow him to. And when you speak, you should be speaking as a mouthpiece of that creator. A culture, a system, a government that is not of this world. The government that will come to put the end to all of the governments and the bullies of this world. How do we do that, guys? 
War? War? No. We plant gardens. We raise our kids. We love our neighbors. We get coffee together. We get coffee with other people. You say, hey, how's your day going to somebody you've never met? Can you imagine when we read about exactly what the Lord had done through 12 individuals? We are the product of 12 individuals. We're all professors of Jesus as our salvation, and we all walk in the commandments and the blessings of the Lord. Can you imagine what would happen in our small corner of Christianity? There are way more than 12 people here in this room today. If we walked with that same calling to love our neighbor as ourself, to be builders in this city, not only in your own life, not only in the life of the people you see around you, but everybody you meet. Can you imagine what God could do in Norman in Oklahoma City? Can you imagine what he could do? Now, he's going to do it one way or another because God won't be mocked and because God's plan is perfect. Well, there's a reason why you're in this room today. I believe God wants to use you. But Ephesians 2 tells us, even though you were predestined with the calling of the Lord, you have to choose whether you're going to walk in it or not. He's not going to force you. God is not Babylon. God is righteousness. So as apprentices of Yeshua, we do not show our loyalty to God by simply knowing what he has said. We show our loyalty to God by walking in a manner that shows them that we actually listened. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this church. I thank you for each and every person who's here. Thank you for each and every person who is listening online. Lord, I lift up those who are sick. I lift up Cam and Sarah. I lift up Corey and Anna. I lift up those, Lord, who, who have basketball games or other functions in their families. Protect them, Lord. Keep them safe. Lord, thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your Son, Yeshua. And thank you for our Constitution, the words and letters of Moses and the prophets. Father, thank you for being a steady, orderly promise keeper when the world is full of liars and inconsistency. Thank you, for, Father, for being such a, such a wonderful, loving Father and Creator when the systems of this world can be so cruel and oppressive. Lord, teach us to be a people who blesses the community you have placed us in, who blesses the leadership that you have placed us under, who works cooperatively with each other for the good of your kingdom, Lord, and your promises for your name's sake. For we love you and we bless you in this place. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, amen. All right. I'm not going to do our normal benediction today. But I want, as we get ready to go into the family meeting and they turn all the cameras off and the live streams and all the tech and that kind of stuff, I want to pray that the Lord blesses you this week, that he makes his face shine upon you and be gracious to you.
this week. We have some amazing weather out there for, for the wintertime. And even in some of the most oppressive situations we might be in our life right now, even some of the fear you might be surrounded by, some of the uncertainty, some of the new relationships, some of the new callings, all the things that are out there, God's already gone before you. God has already prepared the way for you. He's only been waiting for you.